are listening to Radio Maria England and this is Father Toby with your word for today. And we begin with the gospel from today's Mass, which is taken from John chapter 3. Jesus said to Nicodemus, God loved the world so much that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not be lost, but may have eternal life. For God sent his Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that so through him the world might be saved. No one who believes in him will be condemned, but whoever refuses to believe is condemned already, because he has refused to believe in the name of God's only Son. On these grounds is sentence pronounced, that though the light has come into the world, men have shown they prefer darkness to the light because their deeds were evil. Indeed, everybody who does wrong hates the light and avoids it, for fear his actions should be exposed. But the man who lives by the truth comes out into the light, so that it may be plainly seen that what he does is done in God. So we continue today with Jesus' intriguing dialogue with Nicodemus, packed full of meaning and yet not always easily intelligible. I think a rushed reading and you'll have a very superficial and perhaps quite wrong understanding. Because one thing we can be quick to seize upon as good news requires closer examination. We can hear, for God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world. And we can think, aha, Jesus is all about good vibes and nice feelings and it doesn't matter what I do. But then there's that next line, but so that through him the world might be saved. Might be saved. Saved from what? Saved for what? I wonder how many Christians today really take seriously the possibility of salvation for themselves or for those who they love. I know certainly my own thinking on the certainty of salvation has changed quite a lot over the years. Then there's more good news followed by the bad news. We hear, no one who believes in him will be condemned, but whoever refuses to believe is condemned already. Jesus doesn't have to come and condemn those who don't believe in him. He doesn't have to condemn those who live lives far from God and his plan for man and woman. Because they are already condemning themselves. Sin is its own condemnation, and as St. Paul tells us, the wages of sin are death. Condemnation, Christ is telling us, that's the default position without belief in him. Things before he comes are much, much worse than sometimes we think. And that makes bringing others to Jesus so much more than just a nice bonus. It really, really matters. Did you notice how almost every single one of the resurrection appearances that we read about last week ends with an instruction to go and tell others? The good news is not to be kept close to our chests. But why do so few in our age believe, even when we preach with conviction, even when we preach well? Why do our family members turn away? Well, Jesus in this passage with Nicodemus enters briefly into the mystery of sin and his resurrection. 
he says, that though the light has come into the world, men have shown they prefer darkness to the light because their deeds were evil. Now, nobody says they prefer darkness to light. Nobody admits to their deeds being evil. We live in what I would call the time of what matters is that I'm a good person, Father. Nobody disputes the need to be good. And that's more of a Christian legacy than many might realise. In other ages, the primary concern wouldn't have been with being good. It would have been with winning honour or wealth. But I've never met the I'm a good person, Father. It doesn't matter whether or not I go to church, does it? I've never met such a person who took really seriously any moral code other than what felt right to them. I'm not saying they don't exist, but that I've not met them. I've not met the person who found that at times they really had to bend their own will in order to be good. I've met more of the, the odd little lie doesn't matter, does it, Father? And I'm not saying that Christians don't lie. But I do hope if they do lie, they feel bad. And they feel bad about it because they know that Christ instructs them not to. And they know because it makes them bad, less than what Christ calls them to be. The difference between the Christian and the non-Christian isn't always the behaviour, but the attitude of repentance. Now, I think a lot of non-believers would want to say, that's a non-difference. Or they would say it's even worse because the Christian is a hypocrite, at least I'm not, Father. But repentance is what Christ first calls us to. And the refusal to be repentant is a simultaneous refusal to accept my need for Jesus in order to be good and a refusal to accept the sovereignty of God. It's pride. We might not call it that, but at its root, that's what it is. And pride is the root of all sin. But today we celebrate it. And I don't just mean with the marches seeking to normalize what God has forbidden. I mean a whole culture that encourages us to seek to be constantly lauded and celebrated by others. Long before influences on social media are monetizing their influence, I think, I think something worse is going on. Because the desire to be loved by strangers from afar, well that seems to me to be a desire to be worshipped. Now I'm not totally against social media, but it's worth looking at what you post and seeing if it's all about me, or is it more about Christ and the good deeds of others? Or, on the other hand, perhaps somebody might look at your social media feed and think that God didn't send Jesus to condemn the world because you were doing such a good job of it instead. I'd also suggest having a look at your children's social media, and you should feel at complete liberty to do so, you're their parent, and see whether they're developing an identity in Christ or an identity dependent upon likes or retweets or shares or hearts or whatever else it is. Only one of these is stable and good. The way that so many people use social media leads to both pride and insecurity, and that's a pretty toxic mix. It leads to a demand that people affirm and celebrate me in whatever I do, unconditional worship, but it also means that my whole sense of well-being can be taken away from me at the whim of the mob. 
We don't want our children to experience this. How then to combat pride? Well, most obviously humility, but nobody likes being told to be humble, and that only makes the one doing the telling sound prideful. I'd suggest thanksgiving. The more you see his gift, the more you give thanks. And the more you give thanks, the more humble you become, because you recognise that what matters most is gift. Your life, the people you love, your faith. None of these things did we deserve. Amongst all the incredible innovations of modern society, one of the downsides is our expectation of comfort. I can see how it hinders me, the expectation that I should at all times be able to be comfortable. And that expectation has now gone beyond the physical into the spiritual. It's gone into the, into the classroom and into our world of education, so that I should not have to hear things that make me uncomfortable. But to prioritise comfort immediately shuts you off from Christ. It shuts you off spiritually from listening to him and bodily from following him. And there's also another downside to the prioritization of comfort. It's that we become angry when we're not comfortable. We feel like we should be able to control the situation. Instead, go around giving thanks to God for everything, not just food. That will start to put you and those you love in right order with creation and with the creator. That will start to make you simultaneously acknowledge your need and just how much you have received. And that's a movement from darkness to light, a movement into Christ. Trust him. 